de ventre matris me, vocavit me dominus nomine meo. The Lord hath called me by my name from the womb of my mother. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's intro, it may be compared rightly to the intro it of the Mass of December 8th, the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In both introits we are given the song of a little baby. On December 8th, it is the Blessed Virgin who, not yet born, from the womb of her mother, sings, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, gaudens gaudevo in domino, and my soul shall be joyful in my God. This is, in some way, the Blessed Virgin Mary's prenatal magnificat. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, and with the robe of justice he hath covered me as a bride adorned with her jewels. And today, John the Baptist, not conceived immaculate, but sanctified in his mother's womb, by the presence of Jesus, mediated through Mary his mother, this little John sings, The Lord hath called me by my name. From the womb of my mother, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hath protected me, and hath made me as a chosen arrow. And then little John addresses Zachary, his father, and Elizabeth, his mother, and all of the neighbors and friends gathered round about his cradle. And what does he sing? It is good to give praise to the Lord and to sing to thy name, O Most High. Now, the extraordinary circumstances of the birth John the Baptist are mysteriously bound up with the presence of Mary in the house of Zachary for three months before the birth of the Baptist. It is remarkable that Mary went in haste into the hill country to the house of Zachary and Elizabeth, having learned from the angel that Elizabeth, oh wonder, in her old age, had conceived a son. This visitation is depicted in the second of the four Marian windows here in the oratory, and is also depicted in the painting in the chapter room. What remains 
veiled in silence, because St. Luke gives no details of this. What remains veiled is Our Lady's presence in the house of Zachary and Elizabeth for three months. What went on during those three months? Some of you would know the wonderful prayer of Monsieur Ollier, <coughs> O Jesus living in Mary. Mary was in the house of Zachary and Elizabeth, a living tabernacle. And irradiating from the tabernacle of her womb was the sanctifying power of Jesus, O oh, Jesus living in Mary. Now, it would, I think, be altogether reasonable to assume that the Magnificat intoned by Our Lady at the beginning of her stay in the house of Zachary and Elizabeth was in some way prolonged by the prayer of the two mothers. Surely Our Lady prayed with Elizabeth. They probably sang psalms together. They certainly prayed together at the beginning of the Sabbath as Jewish women are wont to do. They certainly prayed together the blessings that mark the whole Jewish day, even in its most ordinary, prosaic activities. But behind all of this, there was the hidden presence of Jesus, sanctified. That house was filled, like another house in the Gospel, filled with a certain fragrance. The virginal fragrance of Mary, and already, yes, the fragrance of the sacrifice of Jesus, who on coming into this world said, Thou hast prepared a body for me. Behold, I come to do thy will, O God. I can only compare the presence of Our Lady in the house of Zachary and Elizabeth with the presence of the tabernacle in the monastery. No one can deny that virtus goes forth from the tabernacle. The three months of Mary in the house of Zachary and Elizabeth served a divine purpose. The sanctification of the mother through the mediation of Mary it seems to me that Mary is fully mediatrix already during these three months. Elizabeth is sanctified by her contact with Mary 
And little John in his mother's womb is sanctified by Jesus hidden in his mother's womb. There seems to have developed between Jesus and John a mysterious connection even before birth, before the birth of the one, the birth of the other. Why else would John speak of himself as the friend of the bridegroom? He exults at hearing the voice of the bridegroom because he recognized that voice. There was, by divine design, an intimate connection between Jesus and John through Mary before the birth of the one and of the other. Or so it seems to me. And John sings to us in the intro it, and the same text is given us in the lesson from Isaiah. And the more I meditate that passage from Isaiah 49, the more do I see that what is said, what John says, because the liturgy places the words of this passage in the mouth of John, what John says concerning himself in an extraordinary way, is true of each one of us in an ordinary way. That, while being ordinary, is in fact quite extraordinary. I looked at the verbs of the lesson from Isaiah 49. I actually noted them in my Lexio Divina. And then it occurred to me that each of these verbs can be applied to you and to me. Look at them. The Lord hath called me. We are called. Called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother. He hath been mindful of my name. That's a biblical way of saying the name. The name is the mystery of the person. The name is who I am in God's sight, in God's plan, in God's design. In the shadow of his hand he hath protected me called and protected. In his quiver he has hidden me, called me, protected me, hidden me. And now saith the Lord that formed me, formed me from the womb. I have 
given thee. The verbs in this lesson constitute the life story of each one of us, which life story is still being written. Called, remembered, protected, hidden, formed, and given. There is another detail pertinent to our celebration of this feast, and it is the lively discussion about the naming of the child. Now, Our Lady is not present. She's not present at the birth of the Baptist, nor is she present at the circumcision. It seems as if Our Lady, having completed her mysterious hidden mission of three months, so characterized by silence, that knowing full well that the birth of the child would be seen by all as a miracle, a sign. Elizabeth was despised. She was somehow looked upon as a woman rejected by God because she had not given birth to a child. And so the birth of the child was a momentous occasion, something miraculous. And people who formerly would have looked askance at Elizabeth now wanted to see her because she was the object of such a divine favor. So people would have come streaming into the house, not only after the birth to congratulate the mother and the father, the father being dumb, having lost the gift of speech when he doubted the Annunciation made him by the angel. He regains the gift of speech, as we know, at the circumcision of John, when he confirms Elizabeth's insistence that the child be named not Zachary after his father, but John. And Zachary makes an act of faith when he writes on the tablet, his name is John, at which point the gift of speech is restored to Zachary and he breaks into the birthday song of John the Baptist that we sang this morning in the solemn tone using incense and ringing the bells because it's John the Baptist's birthday song. But the the interesting thing is that by God's design, the three names of the father, the mother, and the child are interrelated. And in fact, John had to be named John to complete this divine paradigm, if you will. Elizabeth means God hath sworn. 
or if you will, God hath promised. It also means uh, God is abundant. God hath promised is the name, the meaning of the name Elizabeth. The meaning of the name Zachary is the Lord remembers. So the Lord promised, the Lord remembered his promise, and the name of John is the grace of God is given. The promise, the recalling of the promise, the fulfillment of the promise. He had to be named John. The grace of God is given. He could not be named uh, Zachary. He had to go beyond uh, the name of Zachary and become the grace of God is given. And so we see in the three names of Elizabeth, Zachary, and John, uh, a mysterious and at the same time delightful design of divine providence. Elizabeth's role in the economy of salvation is contained in her name. Zachary's role contained in his name, and John's name contained in his. Grace is given. All of this is a way of saying that for each one of us, God has a perfect plan. A perfect plan. A plan that originates in his heart. God has a plan for every child in the womb. It's an extraordinary thing, this feast. The unborn child, the born child, the two mothers. It's very close to the stuff of life. And this feast invites us to correspond, to adhere to the plan of God, the design of God for our lives. And there is no better way of doing this than by doing it in the company of Mary, than by gazing at the face of Mary, as Elizabeth certainly did, than by listening to the voice of Mary, as Elizabeth did, and as John did. John, in the womb, would have heard the voice of Mary. Babies in the womb do hear John was formed in the womb by the presence of Mary for the last three months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We, too, can be formed by Mary, by the presence of Mary, and by the presence of, as Monsieur Ollier so beautifully puts it, Jesus hidden Jesus living in Mary. Jesus living in Mary. And this is my wish for you, dear Don John Baptist, on your feast day.
that you may live in the presence of Mary and in the presence of Jesus and allow yourself to be formed and to become more and more the man God created you to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.